Hey everyone, Dan from the Nostalgia Test Podcast and just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode um, we have conversations about mental health, PTSD, violence in horror movies, and suicide ideation. On today's Nostalgia 101 episode, class is back in session with Josh Grant who will talk all about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Here we go! Welcome to the Nostalgia Test Podcast, the show where two longtime friends put their mainstream pop culture past to the ultimate test, the Nostalgia Test. Here it is, Dan. We're back at it. You can't, yeah, I thought I left school. No, not me going back to school all the time. Anyways. I do love these these segments, uh, the, the lithology. What do we call it? Not, <laughs> Not lithology. It's only, I'm sorry. Shameless plug. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> nostalgia 101. Yeah, um, this one's good. This is this is like um, almost like more focused on kind of what we do. Like, are we going to be putting some things to the test e- during this 101 class? I mean, maybe. I think we could, and, and it's an interesting connection to, you know, the episode we did with, um, oh, what's the guy's name that did um, the Orange Years, the director of the Orange Years. And we had him on talking all about the Nickelodeon documentary. We talked a little bit about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes. And kind of the legacy behind a lot of these shows and a lot of the, um, the, the original material that like Nickelodeon was just coming up with. But I have so many questions for Josh and I can't wait because there's so many other things that it reminded me of, like scary stories, goosebumps, eerie Indiana, things that like I was just like, oh, my God, like there was like a whole moment of these like really great. Dude, there um, was I remember with these shows, they even like brought on in like there was a book series that came with these like around this time Mm because I remember reading. I specifically for some reason, I blank out when I think about the shows. But I remember reading this like, I don't know if it was a Goosebumps series, but I do remember reading like really scary, well, for kids. Yeah, scary stories. I think it was stories like that were very quick, like four page. Mm-hmm. You know, I specifically remember this one guy who had like spiders coming out of the eye. Yeah. It was just like a drawing of an eye oh, with spiders it was coming out. It was yeah. It was amazing. And, and I remember reading it in my like sister's closet, which is we- weird. Because I guess it was scary to be in the closet reading it. So like, um, oh my god! I so like I'm like transformed back in that time. Like right, like reading it there in this like low light. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. And so why don't we bring our guest in? We are so happy for you uh, that you're here. Uh, We've been emailing back and forth. Things were been a little rocky with the scheduling, but we're here. We're happy to have Josh Grant Young on the podcast. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you both for having me. No, I mean, it's uh, every time we do one of these for us, it's a pleasure because it's just been so much that we've been learning about doing, learning about nostalgia, learning about pop culture. Um, but yeah, why don't you let our audience know a little bit about about who you are, what you do, and then we'll just jump right in. Right. Sure. Um, so I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Guelph in Canada, and I work mainly on a field of uh, philosophy that deals with, you know, public perceptions and representations of mental health. And I principally look at that question of how people engage with, you know, this discussion of mental health through uh, primarily horror film, but also horror literature and some music and television, which, you know, we'll certainly talk about horror television today. Um, I also run or used to run a film group in Guelph, uh, Philosophy in the Dark, which was meeting periodically to watch horror films. And we'd occasionally have myself or another presenter give a talk about, you know, either their interpretation of the film or a particularly interesting thing that was going on related to the film. And we ended up having a conference in 2019 on, uh, yeah, 2019, April 2019, on the subject of horror as it related to philosophy. So that's kind of been my thing. Otherwise, I write pieces occasionally talking about horror and mental health and various publications online. And yeah, 
that's that's more or less who I am. Wow, awesome, man! I mean, I see you're thinking like you're sitting back, just, you're you're doing the thinking pose, and I'm like, yeah, I really I'm, just I'm trying you. to think about like, like that's a great, like not crazy. I'm just like thinking about the correlation of of horror and mental health and are you are you like the study of it are you using it as like is it like a therapy or is it like how people express their mental health through horror like telling horror stories and stuff or like it's all of it like yeah i mean that's the interesting thing about narrative in general right is it can mean a lot of different things as a tool for people. Like you said, for some people it can be a therapeutic way of, you know, talking about their own personal experience or the experience of like a group of people for other people. It might be a way to raise awareness or talk about stigma in a sort of non-traditional way Uh, for other people. It might be, you know, sort of shining a light on historical, you know, issues. Like for example, I recently for uh, horror homeroom, it's an interesting online publication. I recommend people check out. Um, they had a issue on classic horror where I talked about the movie Bedlam, which talked about the sort of historical treatment of people in mental asylums in Britain. And obviously it's a fictional movie, George Car, uh, sorry, Boris Karloff, my bad. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of touches on a very real historical problem of, you know, how were these spaces, these asylums, uh you know founded what kind of things did they do and in many cases i mean it's it's not a great history in the uk or the united states or canada mm-hmm. and it's a it's a history that i think you know is well worth telling and that's sort of what i try to discuss in that piece is you know how does this movie make us reflect not only on that kind of history but also the history of the genre too when it comes to you know reflecting mental health because it's one of those rare cases where if you look at certain movies like, you know, Split or you look at uh, Lights Out, it's not the most positive message about um, mental health. I mean, Split, mental health is monstrosity. Yeah. Uh, Lights yeah. Out, if you have depression, you've just got to commit suicide because that's the only way to free your family of you know mm. generational trauma. Um, you know, on the other hand, I mean, Bedlam's got problems it's it's an old movie so mm-hmm. you know and i talk about some of those in the article but what it does that's interesting is it turns the thing around where you know usually when we think about you know images of asylums in horror films we think about you know terrifying people who are you know wrapped up in you know straight jackets you know speaking gibberish to us and you know mm-hmm. lashing violently out at people but this is a movie where the people who are in the asylum seem to be like the most quote unquote sane individuals. Like they're just people like you and me who happen to be in the asylum. And even like the most scary, potentially violent people in the asylum turn out to be perfectly fine individuals. And it's actually, you know, the culture around them who use them for, you know, uh, entertainment and use them as, you know, a way to make a quick buck. That, that's where the horror is interestingly enough it's not in the asylum like it is with some films it's, it's the culture that creates the asylum is where the real horror is that reminds me of something like very you know getting super nerdy into the theoretical part of it like in like uh paulo Freire's pedagogy to press he says like the oppressor is the one who incites the violence the imp- the oppressed doesn't incite the violence because the violence is already like incited by the oppressor anything that the oppressed do is in defense of the violence that's already been put on top of them so i feel like in that case like you're saying like in the asylum it's not the people in the asylum the patients the violence has already been incited on them by the people who have created the asylum how they treat them how they dehumanize them but but a lot of the times when the writers create these narratives there is that part isn't in there, especially like new old and especially new film, new horror is like interesting because it is very much focused on the monster. That's not like going to try and hurt someone. Not how did this happen? Where did this go wrong? What did, what in, what entailed to this, like it created, created this. Right. So it's really quite interesting to think of it in that, in those terms, because it, it really puts the onus on the creator 
kind of like Frankenstein, like the, like the, you know, Frankenstein's monster, like he created this. And instead, most, most of the time, what we focus on is the monster, not the one who creates the monster. Right. Yeah. Like take, um, take Halloween, for example. Yes. I love the movie Halloween. Don't get me wrong. But uh, one of the interesting things is a wonderful essay in a book on um, mental health portrayals in media. And if I can remember where it is in my bookshelf, I can always send you a link if you're interested. But um, it talks about the quote unquote meme of the uh, escaped male asylum patient that happens in slasher movies, basically from psycho until the present where you have a lot of times in these slasher movies, the figure like Michael Myers of pure evil who comes from where he comes from an asylum. And in many ways, it's interesting how much you want to track that with the deinstitutionalization wave that happens, you know, in the period that sort of runs around the late seventies into the Reagan era in America. But um, it's fascinating in the sense that when you think about, you know, Michael Myers, I mean, so much of his, you know, persona is wrapped up in this idea of being pure evil and it often, you know, gets sort of ignored to a certain extent that, you know, this is also someone who's an asylum patient. And it's, it's funny to me that, you know, and other movies like black Christmas, the oh. retcon of that in 2009, I think yeah, also an asylum patient. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Voorhees is not, uh, what people would call mentally ill, but he certainly has cognitive disabilities from the looks of it. Um, you know, it's in many cases, difference in these slasher mm. movies translates into a, a sort of violent personality. And mm. again, it's sort of fascinating to take a look at, you know, what this sort of says about the fears of like American suburban culture around the time of deinstitutionalization is, you know, why are they, mm making movies about men particularly mm. um, who are, you know, coming out of, because I mean, there's a lot to say about women in asylums and I don't want to brag at that, but um, you know, what, what is this figure of mental difference that people are, you know, conjuring up at this point? What does it say about the anxieties of, um, you know, that particular moment? That's why, again, Manny's question was so interesting because there are so many different ways to sort of look at this through different mm-hmm. lenses. And obviously, you know, Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween um, for what it was, they, there was some attempt to try to explain, you know, some sort of uh, Genesis for why Michael was the way he was, yeah. um, you know, abusive household. Um, but I mean, obviously not, the best movie, <laughs> not a great remake either. Kind of lacked a lot of the what made the original great. Mm. But yeah, it's 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 interesting to think about all these sort of different lenses of how we think. About Even it. like like Psycho, like wasn't it like he had like issues with his mom, right? Mm. And stuff. And like and then I I was thinking as you were talking the whole time was about um, Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. Although not a horror, but like a thriller, and like you know, I don't want to spoil it, but like it basically is in this dude's head, and he has mental issues because of what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I'm just trying to think about like, has there any been any like, could it be horror if it ends with us feeling bad for the character we're supposed to be afraid of, right? Which is now that you're saying it, like I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, I had not even like thought that all these people do have mental issues, and we're just kind of like along for this ride of terror and like get, being scared of it instead of trying to like, well, how can we stop the rain mm. without ending their life? <laughs> you mm. know, yeah. it's like, oh, we there's nothing we can do. Let's just kill it. You know, oh. which is and I mean, yeah. horrible to think about. Because that's like, you know, the mental issue, mental issues, a lot of now you see a lot of shows that are like dealing with like suicide and, you know, like there was like 13 reasons Mm -hmm. that movie and stuff. So like none of that, you know, like there's other genres that are trying to take care of 
that but like then how do you have a horror genre without having somebody to be like afraid of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i guess I think, you yeah i mean it's, so on one hand i mean a lot of me is wrapped up in um i think it's jeffrey jerome cohen put together a book called uh, monster theory where he lays out sort of theses of what a monster is and certainly when you look at mental health through the lens of monstrosity like yeah the the ending's not great because on one hand you're right i mean people with mental differences belong dead if they're monsters in the genre but the other half of it is that the monster always comes back and never really dies i mean it's going to be endlessly repeated and repeated and repeated ad infinitum but the interesting thing is you know when you don't think of it necessarily just as monstrosity possibility opens up i mean the babadook was one of those movies where people sort of lauded how you know to sort of shift the focus from you know uh violent male anger to you know uh silenced grief of women um you know the babadook's interesting because you have this you know situation where on one hand people were sort of wrapped up in this idea of you know the depiction of monstrous motherhood, you know, where, you know, she's obviously inhabited by the Babadook and violently lashes out, you know, towards her son and those around her. But I mean, it's one of those movies where maybe it's like a bittersweet ending in a certain sense where she realizes that you can't necessarily ever rid yourself of that sort of dark aspect of yourself but you can learn how to make peace with it and you can learn how to live with it in a sort of constructive way. So it's, you know, the sort of therapeutic reading we're talking about where she doesn't necessarily like conquer the monster in the way that we normally think about the genre, but she does sort of learn a way to live alongside it, recognize it exists, but nonetheless live in spite of it because the monster is grief monster is, you know, trauma. So, it's you know something that she can sort of finally name at the end of the movie and you know begin to live in spite of but of course the the bittersweet part is you know her son asking you know am i ever going to get to see the monster and she says oh yeah no you'll see it because this is again to go back to what i said earlier it's never really the end yeah mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. never go away so so in ter- like so as we're like talking about these like horror films and ideas of mon- you know monstrosity and mental health issues and how their depiction I'm also wondering then like something like are you afraid of the dark who is like which was created for kids right it's a nickelodeon series it's created for kids how does are you afraid of dark fit into the picture not i guess like specifically in the specific conversation but when it comes to horror is there something that Are You Afraid of the Dark did or still does today that um, that certain horror isn't doing, or like what was it about it that you think made it so so big or so important? Right. So, I mean, I'm gonna sort of hash out some stuff that's been covered by other people before in a certain yeah. respect. So, I mean, if you, for example, want to read Matt Mellis's essay. Um, at consequence TV on it's rather short. It's more of a list of, you know, the best episodes and you can certainly agree or disagree with his list (laughs) and, uh, Gabrielle Moss's article on sci-fi. So, I mean, I'll start with Gabrielle's essay because in many ways, she's talking about a sort of enduring question of horror where, you know, horror in a certain sense, like, for a lot of people, uh, like many genres in a certain way, it's for the boys, right? And she wants to say, well, no. I mean, when you think about Are You Afraid of the Dark, this is one of those cultural moments when it started to feel like okay to be a woman or a girl and like, like horror and see yourself in it. So, I mean, she talks about, you know, this idea that when you look at this um tv show like it opens up a lot of different issues but i mean you know it talks about 
a lot of female experiences directly. You know, she says, you know, it talks about being bullied by other girls or having, you know, guys resent the fact that you exist in a space that should be guys own, you know, and it doesn't have to always be about boys fears. She says, you know, it's, it could be about, you know, girls fears and problems too. And mm-hmm. where they get to be, I think she says like the imperfect heroes as often as boys do. And it's a show where like, even in the first season, you go down the list, half of the scripts focus on female characters and a lot of them are written by women. Um, which, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. I would say for 1990s television, you know, if that opens up the possibility for, you know, young women and girls to like turn around and say like, yeah, like I, I enjoy horror. I see myself in horror. Like, I have no, I think that's great. And I guess to sort of speak to the wider context, you know, sort of follow Matt, um, you know, he talks about this idea that, you know, when you look at, you know, the show, a lot of times it's talking about bullying. It's talking about peer pressure, you know, what it's like to be a new kid or like sort of the outcast or loner. Um, you know, there's discussions of disability in certain episodes hmm. and, you know, kids experiencing what it's like to have family members die or hmm. parents going through divorce. And I think the most interesting thing is he, he says is that, you know, when you look at a lot of these shows, like the real sort of hard hitting thing, and it, even when I watched through them now after reading his essay, uh, I couldn't help but feel this was a compelling point you know how isolated like all the kids are from adults who are capable of caring about them Mm. uh defending them doing anything to support them they're pretty much like on their own 90 percent of the time yeah (laughs) parents parents are either like they've fucked off somewhere or they're, you know, kind of jerks or they're even the evil ones who are basically the ones preying on kids. Mm. So, you know, he makes the point like, you know, in the nineties, you know, like we remember all this stuff about like, Oh yeah. Like if you're in trouble, like go tell an adult, like adults are the people to go to. And he makes the point like this show flips that logic on its head where it makes you think, well, like, do I always have the ability to trust adults? I mean, that's Mm. the sort of like, yeah, interesting aspect of horror in some cases with this show is that you know because we grew up in this sort of like on one hand don't talk to strangers but on the other hand always seek out the help of adults because they're the dependable solid like totally trustworthy people that we yeah. always rely on and i mean let's be real parents fail us um adults in authority misuse their authority Mm. and that's kind of horrific in its own right that you know you can you can live that experience in the real world and like recognize yeah adults are not always the people we hope they are they're not always the trustworthy affirmative good people they should be Mm. and that's terrifying growing up (laughs) very real it makes me think of just even the um all the movies and she shows that like are just like a group of friends who like have to rely on one another like i mean when you look at it like stephen king's it all their parents all their families are totally messed up they have to rely on one another there's no one else that can help them but themselves the adults don't believe them they can't see what's going on and so like there's like there's that reliance on each other and and in are you afraid of the dark it's like this little like this little this association this group that seems like after you explain it, it doesn't seem as innocuous, like just this group that comes together and tells these stories, but they have like a real, they have a ser- they have rituals and ceremony. They have, you know, um, just like a whole like counter, like subculture that they've created in this one space. It's really quite interesting. Hmm. Wow. Manny, do you want to say something? I'm sorry. I think I cut you right off when you were. No, no, I'm taking it all in. Um, I'm, I was going to bring up a comparison to like now, you know, if you look at um, Stranger Things and how that, 
you know, because it's it's a nostalgic show, but trying to also be current. Uh, so like we're watching stuff that's supposed to reflect the eighties horror and thriller. Mm -hmm. And so you, you do have the asylum, the asylum, right. And they're supposed to be superheroes, uh, in a way. And, and both the horror and the hero were born in a way out of this asylum. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Dan, have you seen the show? No, not yet. I know I'm like one of like two people have not seen this show yet that in Cobra. Kai. I don't know how you, yeah, you haven't watched Cobra Kai either. How do no. you, how do you host a show called the nostalgia test? Dude, yeah. I, I have all, I have a whole other oh my God. stuff that I, I, I don't even want to go further now because like, no, keep I, going, dude. It's okay. Don't no, I, keep Josh, going. have you seen, you seen the, this, the whole you're yeah. up to date. So like, to me, like, it's crazy what when you said that and we were going through all the different depictions of what we've seen is the monster and how male, male, male monster, and now how eleven could be seen as a monster in the beginning by certain people, yeah. but were perceived as a, a hero by others. And even to herself, she was struggling of whether she's the hero or the monster. Yeah. In every season, she's struggling with that issue. Like she has issues. And she's trying to figure out how to deal with those mental issues to turn it around and be the hero in her story, um, which is also crazy that they're able to still keep a horror, but also uplifting stories that are going on. Like you're cheering mm -hmm. for these people. They're like such a good. I feel like it's one of the better shows like written. I thought they let they kind of like lost me on season like the when she became like a punk rocker in a way and she like left and, and i was yeah. like nah, okay and but like this season they got me back it was like yes you know i was all for it and all the different like throwbacks to all the different you know carrie and uh just like every single genre of every single movie that you could probably you could probably like oh that's from that movie that's from this movie and that you know um uh it, it is interesting you're saying that like how we've been programmed as especially like our generation that like monsters come from the asylum like that's not a great place like you drive by it like you don't want to be with those people but like those people might be like the ones that need the most help but like it's a it's a circle that just keeps going because no one wants to help them because by help that's scary, but they only are becoming more and more scary because you're not helping them. Um, which goes back to also with glass where the girl who was abducted by, you know, uh split splits character. She let, she was compassionate with the main guy, the guy that had the issue, forget his name. And she wanted him to like get help so that he wouldn't deal with all these monsters inside and that he actually could, you know, be better. But then the adults and the crazy people <laughs> in the movie caused him to be worse. Like, so, man, it's, it's just a circle that it, it just like doesn't end because like you said, like the monster will never go away, whether it be like up upon on themselves or other people are constantly keeping that monster like alive, mm. like it's coming not, out. And it's something to be said about like even horror. That's like, that's story that's story centered, right? Mm. Like something like, are you afraid of the dark and the twilight zone and tales from the crypt? Like they all are centered around that idea. Like you sit down, you're going to hear a story. And yeah. it's like that, the that oral tradition of like storytelling. And, and it's also like you in a, in a story, you're supposed to learn something that someone's telling it. What are they bringing with them that they're telling this story, right? Like what is at the core of this story? Um, and I always felt like horror like that was, it was scary, but it was interesting because like, though I'm gonna, I might be afraid of something. I'm also not being, I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that scare much more than like, the this movie that's coming out that like there it's all there are posters everywhere and it's just like it makes smile me, i can't i can't i'm ne that ruins my i watched that trailer and it ruined my day when i went to go i didn't watch this. i didn't watch no, the trailer but don't. i heard like the marketing is insane because they have people like going to like baseball games 
No. Standing behind the home plate and like no. just smiling and stuff. No. See, yeah. that to me makes it like like you were saying, Josh, like the idea of like the monster being someone who has like this like depiction of mental health and like people who have mental health issues. And then it's like it creates such a warped sense of our reality that like I need to be afraid of people. Where like in Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'm afraid. But I'm also know at the end, the story's over. We put the fire out. We walk home. There's something of like a reality, like a, a world outside of what I'm doing. Do you know Actually, what I, mean? for, I forgot world. about um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, do, does it end happy, any of the stories? Or like, they just kind of like, they do. Yeah. So there's kind I mean, of Some like certainly a, do, yeah. Yeah. And then to sort of speak to Dan's point, I mean, yeah, the interesting thing, you're right about a lot of these anthology series is, you know, in some cases, these are morality plays. I mean, they are teaching you a certain lesson sometimes. I mean, there's one episode where uh, one of the characters stole something from another one of them. That's it's foggy. Uh, I've watched so many of them that it's, <laughs> they blurred into one. But yeah, one of the one of the characters has taken something from one of his siblings, I believe. And you know, the story is sort of like a a morality tale on like why it's wrong essentially to treat your sibling like crap. And the resulting ending of the story is, you know, this person gives back what they had taken from you. So there's, there's elements of that, but yeah, like, so I don't know. I'll put my cards on the table. I'm somebody who, you know, certainly deals with a lot of mental health issues. Like, um, don't have to list them off, but suffice to say, I've, I've got stakes in this. This is a very personal project for me because as a horror fan who grew up watching, you know, everything from, you know, the early Paramount monster movies and, you know, early depictions of like mad scientists and, uh, you know, evil psycho killers to like, even now when I you know, go to the theater and watch, you know, new movies and I have seen the, trailer for smile and mm. that's i'm worried <laughs> and then that's no no surprise i'm a little bit worried about it yeah it's it's a personal thing because you know i i've said it in other pieces that i've written um you know it, when you're someone who you know deals with things like you know depression or psychosis or ptsd or you have family members who you know, have uh, dissociative identity issues. Um, when you're watching an entire culture, like make a spectacle out of your lived experience and the lessons are be terrified, like Dan said, or, you know, these are monsters that we have to fear, or these are people who need to be locked up. Um, you know, that's, it gets tiresome at a certain point where, you know, you start to really question why you love the thing that you love so much when every time you look at it, the more and more you look at it, you're like, God damn, I, yeah. I see all the wrong. Because, like, yeah, like, I'm a big white dude. Slap a hop hockey mask or any mask on me and walk me down the street. Yeah. People are going to be terrified. <laughs> I mean, people are already probably not comfortable sometimes if they knew who I was. Mm. You know, I mean, people are already uncomfortable around, you know, unhoused people you know they're mm -hmm. terrified because they're you know, talking to them in the streets and they don't understand uh what they're saying and there's enough stigma around being unhoused never mind also having mental issues and you know that's one thing but yeah then there's also the fact you know to sort of go back to that you know meme of the escaped mental patient i mean obviously i'm not someone who recently broke out of an asylum but if people knew what i dealt with sometimes they'd be terrified. Mm. And, you know, I don't fault them entirely because look at the media that we take in every day. I mean, it's, sure. yeah, I don't totally blame them. And obviously, you know, I don't know if smile is going to be a good movie on that front because, you know, it's, but I will reserve my judgment until I watch it. And I'm, mm. Mm. Do you think that like people in the horror genre, like the people that make these movies, do you think they like purposely know this or they're just kind of like 
they have no idea that this is actually affecting or showing bad light uh, on this. They're just like so happy about a genre that they've been following a formula that they 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 don't even know that they're part of this like issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, mean, know, like, could, yeah. you know, like you know, like a bunch of different ways. Because like, yeah, maybe some people are very aware of it, yeah. and they're just using it as you know, like I said, like so this might be therapy to people. Like, hey, I'm gonna make a movie. I have issues. I'm gonna make a movie because this is what I think, and at least right. it's fake. And I'm gonna scare the crap out of people because this is what my brain thinks, and this is how I go to sleep. And 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 my nightmares, I needed them to come true so that I can go to sleep because I was able to portray my nightmares on screen, you know. And then they're like, ah, oh, thank God. And then they go to the next thing, and you know, it's a constant therapy, like. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say my, my issues. I, when I was younger, I, I suffered with depression and talking about it helped me. So like constantly, like don't hold things in anymore. If something's really bothering me, I tell people, or I tell people, oh, leave me alone. I'm not feeling good. You like, maybe this is there with some people's way. Um, not saying it's the best way, um, but like, it could be an expression yeah. of certain people who have issues and this is their way to do it but then you know you're right like you're you're also conjuring up mm. other people's experiences without even knowing like i just heard in the an article today i don't know if you saw that um there's a Dahmer um like another uh, one show. Like we have to deal with that again and the victims yeah weren't told that the mm-hmm. show was coming out yeah, and the family the victims families and you know netflix like we didn't offend anybody but they're like that's not the problem we got over things and now the whole world is seeing what we went through like they freaking lived this like we have no idea what that's like you talk about ptsd like these people are about to like even if they don't want to watch it just seeing the preview of a dude that looks like that dude that destroyed their lives Mm -hmm. must be such like a, a mind fuck to them. Like that's it's it's crazy. Like well, I I know a guy who had PTSD up up. Um, he never told me what it was from, but like he constantly was suffering, and he would always like bring it up and like has has to constantly. He has two kids, and he has to deal with it and like go away if it comes back. Because when he was younger, I I think he was he came from a very troubled ho- home. And he doesn't want it to repeat. But he told me, he's like, it's a constant struggle. Like you were talking about the monster. He's like, I don't want that monster to come out to my kids because I grew up with it and I don't want to be that monster to them. And I'm like, wow, this is like, you know, like we're not, no, our generation wasn't used to that because it was, was not put under the rug. I mean, I guess we all started kind of talking about it, but as you're saying, if it just normalized on television to be scared of these people, then it becomes normal without even knowing it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, a person talking in the middle of the street, instead of like helping or like, you know, maybe gearing them to a a, a specialist. You're just like, yeah, get away. I don't, I don't want to deal with you. Like continue being crazy. We're not going to deal with it. You know? And I think like, you know, someone who might, is experiencing something like that if they do make a film in that genre in the horror genre they have an empathy that they that then comes out in the film so though it's in horror there's a there is a perspective that we don't see right there's something that happens where you're just like that's that that turn it does more of a turn where like you're like I didn't think of it that way. There's an empathy towards a per the humanity of a human being of a person instead of like a you know a strict horror film that's there where you're just like this is horror we're making people scared of this and then that's that. I think that's why I like anthology series. Like there's nothing about an anthology series that I love because it's like you're getting a short burst, but they're storytellers and like the tra- the oral tradition of storytelling to me is like. It to me, it, it when it's portrayed back onto film or on a on a show like Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark, you have 
someone you have a diff there's a different filter because it's an anthology you're telling a story and and that to me the storytelling aspect changes you also have to see where that came from like you said there was women directors who were trying to tell stories from a different point of view and maybe also wanted to like get a lesson right. out of it if you're just a horror a horror guy who doesn't care about lessons there's plenty you're of just gonna like say that. whatever you like even bird box now that you're saying it what if you watched Bird Box? Wasn't it that the people that didn't get affected were ones that had issues? I don't like remember. they were I like making it like, right. yeah. like they were like making it like the the people who had mental issues or like talked to themselves were, weren't affected by the right. evil somehow. Like they remember. weren't able to turn. Like they were able to look at the evil and not like turn somehow. I don't it was like this whole thing, like like they they basically were saying that like, yeah, somebody who who had issues, you had to be scared of them too. Like I'm just thinking about how crazy that genre is. Wow, I mean, yeah, I don't want to throw horror on the under the bus. No, oh no, it's oh no, I'm just thinking absolutely. it's just it's, yeah. Go what ahead. I'm saying yeah. is like, I love I like I like I guess supernatural horror. Like I like horror like my, my favorite thing is more of thrillers like when you don't see the problem but somehow the director can make you scared of certain things that are going like friday the 13th mm -hmm. the original movie i know it's like the mom was the issue but like most of that was like camera oh, camera yeah and like you're like what you know you were just so scared of like what you didn't see and i think that's like extremely amazing horror because like now you're in your own brain and you're causing something to be scared of. Now, what Dan could be scared of might be different than what I'm scared of, but we're both reacting to that movie. But thinking mm -hmm. about a different being or alien or virus, whatever it might be, but you're like, the jolts are like what's scary to me. Like, that's mm -hmm. hard to me. <laughs> that's, yeah. But it's like, you know, when I think about it, obviously, like, you know, the comedy genre is played on a number of tropes involving mental difference. Um, you know, in romantic movies, it's quirky, it's fun, it's weird, you know. It's a little variety as the spice of life in that case. Um, you know, it's it's not only the horror genre. That's not, I mean, it's a wider no. cultural no. thing, right? I mean, even in our political rhetoric, I mean, every time there's a goddamn mass shooting in... Mm -hmm. Canada or the United States, or there's, you know, some sort of situation where, um, you know, someone who is struggling with some mental issues happens to commit, you know, the statistically highly unlikely act of violence. Mm. Um, you know, these people are branded as monsters. I mean, Donald Trump was called the monsters. My own premier is, you know, referred to people as monsters, you know, and, it, so it's it's in our politics, it's in our media, you know, it's in, you know, the way that we relate to one another on the street. It's mm -hmm. it's not like a you know singular problem in one genre or one way of telling a story. It's it's just a general sort of thing in Western culture that we've still had a lot of problems reckoning with. Hmm. I, I think it's more than just Western culture. I think like the whole world, it, like there's there's um plenty of um you know other cultures that look at mental illness as like almost like a, a deficiency sure in, in a yeah. way um they almost like don't even talk about it because they're just like you don't exist because this is your you have an issue um yeah. let me ask you this just to kind of flip things up so so you like the genre um what's your favorite like movie that like still like you still really like that kind of like that kind of horror like what is your favorite so it's gonna be a strange answer but here we go so um there's a movie from japan called house or house house um, yeah house yeah okay and uh it's it's probably one of the weirdest movies you'll ever watch mm. um particularly uh, if you're under the influence when you do, uh, <laughs> which 
I recommend watching both sides if you do that kind of thing when you watch <laughs> movies, but because you want to watch it sober at least once to really take in how weird the movie is on its own. Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's a movie about a haunted house at its very base core. But you know, there's also cats with laser beams coming out of their eyes, pianos that eat people. Oh my god! Um, so basically, you know, the the video the video from uh, what's that? Um, um total clips of the heart totally clips of the heart. Yeah. <laughs> yes but also if it was shot like a pepsi commercial. oh my god that is hilarious it's it's a wild ride so wow. i mean it's I, a horror it's considered horror it is considered a horror movie because i mean you know yeah there's obviously like an evil force within the house that is trying to prey on a group of young women from japan okay um, and their attempts to escape the house uh yeah it's it's a very weird movie um Hmm. did they try to remake this in an american version i feel like they did something like that i thought they (laughs) i thought they did something with the house that like house kind of trapped trapped in and stuff like that yeah there's stuff like that but so you like it do you like this genre because of like how it can be somewhat cheesy do you like this movie because of like that it was a little bit cheesy or is it like suspenseful and like actually scary as fuck so i mean it's it's got a couple elements right and on one hand like i i love good cheese like i love movies like the stuff or mm. you know street trash um <laughs> you know i i love garbage movies i'm not mm-hmm. afraid to say it. um but at the same time too like i also really enjoy the fact that it's it's sort of an alternate take on thinking about like the structure of the haunted house and what it means mm. and it takes it out of you know, uh, you know, traditionally when we think about, you know, haunted house stuff, we're thinking about, you know, the European Gothic or, you know, that's what a lot of the movies tend to focus on. Not entirely, but a lot of times, but you know, it's, it's one of those movies where it's, it's you know, set in Japan, but um, it's also just, you know, very earnestly weird and in a way that I find very endearing. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, like, of course, I love movies like The Shining. I love movies like, um, you know, The Wolfman and Frankenstein. I love Nosferatu. Mm. Um, you know, I've talked about The Golem with people before. Mm. And obviously, like, you know, slasher movies are great, too. I've um, Jalo movies um, for all of their different things. I'm pretty eclectic with my horror. You know? mm. And you said Shutter Island, you know, it's a thriller, but... I'd agree with you. Like there are, I'm a big tent person when it comes to horror. Mm. So I, I would be happy to include Shutter Island in the, in the horror genre or horror adjacent if people aren't comfortable with it being a horror. Yeah. Movie. I guess, I guess like when I call it thriller, it's just like, uh, I think is more about like, I guess it's called thriller to get more seats and, you know, more people in the seats. Right. Cause yeah. like when you say horror there, there is like, you know that that's like a really niche like section of people who want to watch horror but like you say thriller people like oh i'll go see that this it's not much like about ghosts or anything like i'll go like my wife hates horror but like she'll sit through some thriller sure to a point and then like close her eyes most of the time but like um yeah i I definitely think there's there's a fine line in, in a in a good thriller slash horror um, cause I was pretty terrified during that movie. That movie, yeah. I thought it was done really well. Yeah, um, it's a great yeah. movie. There's yeah. also a very thin line between like a horror film that is well done, even with its gore and it's scary and stuff like that. And then it like, this is the thing, cause you said like music and I was thinking like, like I'm a, I'm a huge heavy metal fan. And the thing mm-hmm. about metal is like, it's very, um, influenced by horror obviously and then but the thing about metal and metal fans is and i feel like like horror fans are like this too is that we look for the we we start looking for the hardest most metal most like fast most sca- like thing and then when we find our threshold we kind of like almost are reflecting like how did i get to this moment because i remember like you know, now, like, I don't listen to metal as much anymore because I'm just like, I don't know if I could take this in anymore as much as I used to. Or I'll listen to certain bands like Iron Maiden, which is a metal band, but it's it's not in that lower key, right? Like, it's like not like in that lower key, but like 
I just there, there's just like I when I think of horror, the horror that I want to watch, I'm more or less going to be like maybe more anthology series stuff or more stuff that's like going to be a good story. Because I feel like I, you said something really interesting in the beginning of the podcast, and I know we kind of have to wrap up, but there's something about like you said about like how the the in Are You Afraid of the Dark? There's something about women being empowered, and there's like a, an empowering space there for women and girls and things like that. Not just like being a part of the genre, but also when I think of it, I'm like being a little safer in the genre because if you're a woman in a horror film, most of the time, like there's not a lot of safety for you in that space. Like you're mainly running for your life a lot of the times in these, in these films. And a lot of times now, especially after that movie hostile came out, when that came out, a lot of the movies were just around like capture someone and it's like torture them. And I got to watch that for about an hour. And that's, that was a lot to sit through. Um, do you feel like horror is like hopefully making a turn away from things like that soon? Like I, I, cause I don't watch as many, but like there was like a really moment where like torture horror and that like idea of like capture someone, do something to them and like watch it for an hour or the found footage films. There's like a movie. There's a lot of films that are like that and are just terrifying. Um, but they're not terrifying like Blair Witch where there was nothing there. It was all in your brain. But now it's like, forget that. We're going to take whatever's in their head and put it in front of them. Like, yeah. is there a it's, turn coming? Or do you feel like there people are turning away from stuff like that? Or do you think it's just getting amped up more and more? I mean, you know, on, so I guess when I look at online spaces, mm. I'm seeing more women. I'm seeing, you know, People talking from the black experience, talk from Asian American experiences, mm-hmm. talk from a number of different perspectives. And, you know, to me, like, that's, that's a great sign because, you know, to sort of go back to the idea of storytelling and why it mm-hmm. matters, you know, I, uh, I, have, I gotta say, like, some of the stuff that I'm really enjoying right now is, you know, stuff that isn't just like, you know, I'm not watching Eli Roth, but not to pick on Eli Roth. <laughs> so, sorry, Eli, but you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not watching like, you know, your typical white guy story about like scary stuff going on. Like, you know, I want to know what anxieties or what fears or what aspirations too, because I mean, it's not just about you know, brutality and murder and death. There's also, you know, a lot of stuff wrapped up in this. But I mean, that's why I love, you know, people like Jordan Peele. Yeah, I was doing something so different with the genre. Mm. And the same with, you know, when I read think pieces by women and think pieces from people from different backgrounds, it's like, you know, reading queer new ways of looking at this movie or, Mm. you know, here's a take on why, you know, this particular horror film, you know, is sort of making us rethink the relationship, you know, between black Americans and horror. That's beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're in a we're in a period where this conversation is happening and like, you know, obviously it's it's a process. And yeah. I've I've seen a lot of people doing some great work and a lot of the spaces I travel in in the horror community online, that's making a big impact. Mm-hmm. So I'm wow. really happy to see that. I mean, the ultimate litmus test is like the public who watches these movies. Like, are they going to buy those tickets and sit in those seats? I mean, it's ultimately like the, I need to be a sort of like brutal market thinker here about it, but <laughs> you're right. You know, is it, is, is you know, the public going to pay money to go see it? God, mm-hmm. I hope so. Because, you yeah. know, without, you know, uh, going to see these movies, I mean, you kind of miss a lot of great, narratives i mean that's to sort of wrap up on the on the are you afraid of the dark you know which by the way you know was nominated for an naacp uh was it insight or impact award Hmm. the name of it Hmm. like Uh, recently image award yeah 1996 okay yeah um you know it's it's important for you know, spaces to open up for people to tell stories. And I mean, yeah. 
I'm not here to compare, you know, my experience to any of the other people that I've mentioned, Mm -hmm. but I think it's worthwhile to think about, you know, just like with any other genre, how do we open up spaces? How do we create our own sort of, you know, affirmative midnight society club, which, yeah, obviously we, the kids talk shit to each other. They weren't always (laughs) buddy, buddy, but at the end of the day, like it was a space for a bunch of outcasts with, very different backgrounds to come together and share something that they really enjoy and to grow through it. And I, I only hope that, you know, if there's one enduring thing that people might take away from things like, are you afraid of the dark going forward in the horror communities? Like, how do you, how do you expand that, you know, circle around the flame? You know? Wow. I, that's, I think a great way, a great spot to just, yeah, I can't. I, I can't the period it better than myself. Yeah, that was Josh. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing your your ideas and sharing with the audience about you know your experiences and and everything. I feel like every time Manny and I do this, uh, these these types of episodes, we just walk away just like having learned a ton, and also just grateful for the the guests to come on and make time to do this because you know, this, uh, this type of episode doesn't exist without someone to come on and teach us. So thank you uh, for that. And thank you for doing the work out there that you're doing. I can't wait to read some of the stuff you're doing, but wow. I mean, everybody, please leave your comments, <laughs> leave your questions, follow the podcast and let us know what you think. Um, Manny. Any yeah, I, I can't top that. So. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm grateful Thanks for coming through. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm grateful for being here too. Cause I mean, you know, for me, it's, it's an opportunity to, I mean, talk through stuff that I think about every day and mm-hmm. have the opportunity to share, you know, and learn from other people's insights about this. And it's been great. Kind of therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank no, I was going to ask him. Um, you were talking about um, <laughs> Peel, and you were saying you like his way. Of, like I've I've only seen one of his uh, movies. I saw Get Out, and um, he's recently did the what Nope or something. It was called yep. Nope. Did you see it? I did. Yeah. Was it good? I loved it. You did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, I'm not even bullshitting here. Like I think there's it's a really rich movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's some people like I've, I, you know, like I've seen like reviewers on on like social media, and some people weren't really into. It. I guess they're like kind of new to the genre, and they're just kind of they're kind of getting. I guess they don't like his formula anymore, or they were like expecting Get Out, and they're not. Mm. They're just kind of growing tired or something. Um, so I was, I just kind of wanted to hear it from you. Um, yeah. so I kind of want to see it. Um, I did, I did enjoy get out. I thought it was crazy. And like that, like you talk about fears, like that's a whole other, you know, like I'm a white dude. I don't know what other people's fears are. And like, mm-hmm. that's, that was a whole interesting world to be in. And it was fantastic. I thought it was such a good, good, uh, movie. So, well, yeah, everybody, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And everybody, follow the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. And yeah, let us know what you want next, maybe on the next Nostalgia 101. We have uh, some guests coming up. This this, this series is going on. This is it. We're going to continue this series and the other episodes where Manny and I scream about whatever (laughs) and talk about horrible toys or something. But this has been... What what did we just read to do? A Palmer episode? Oh, we're releasing an episode on Robert Palmer. It's out already. Yeah, Robert Palmer. We just did a whole thing about nostalgia 101 on horror, but Robert Palmer's. Robert Palmer. We're listening to (laughs) Robert Palmer. So, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Josh, thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you in the next Nostalgia 101 episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to the Nostalgia Test podcast to know when new episodes drop. Don't forget to leave us five stars and a positive review so more people can find the podcast. Share your thoughts and memories on today's topic on our Twitter at Nostalgia Test and on Instagram at The Nostalgia Test. 
Tune in next time because you never know what pop culture will pop up on The Nostalgia Test.